We all remember recess growing up in school. Recess was a time of day where you could have all the conversations that you could not have while in class. Recess, recess is where you had the real conversations and real conversations we're going to have. In each episode of the Recess Podcast, I'm going to have real conversations explaining students and school. I'm David McGuire, and I'll be your host. It's recess time, y'all. What's up, beautiful people? Back again, David McGuire, host of the Recess Podcast. It's episode 31, titled Real Man Lead. And if you can see by the, the panel, I got some, some, some brothers with me. We're going to have an in-depth conversation about education, school leadership, you know, uh, what's it like being, being in leaders. Uh, we're going to probably talk about the landscape here in Indy. And if you from Indy, you know right now it's snowing like crazy, even though I'm a Midwest guy. I don't really like it, but it's all good. So thanks for tuning in again. Episode 31, as always, uh, like, share this video. If you in the comments, let me know how you feeling. Scale to one to 10. And as always, follow us on Twitter at The Recess Podcast. Um, like, a, like our YouTube page, The Recess Podcast, and like me on Facebook, David McGuire. We're going to jump right in. I got So we're going to do introductions. Uh, so we're gonna start off with my boy Jeff, who's second time on the show, uh, and, and then we'll just we'll just go in order. So Jeff, man, introduce the folks who you are, um, and let them know a little bit about you. Oh, thank you, everybody. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Um, I'm Jeff Finellis, founder and executive director of Promise Prep, um, located on the far east side of Indianapolis. I'm at the Reset Center. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for hosting, David. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. Who wants to jump in next? Like I said, it's like double dutch, man. We just jump in when we feel it. Maurice, I'm gonna start with it. you, man. Yep. Uh, go ahead. Yep. Go ahead, Tariq. I got you. Yeah. Up. Oh, I got it right here. So, um, hey everybody, Coach T here, Tariq Al Nasir, affectionately known as Coach T, um, and uh, the school that I'm founder and CEO of, Stimnasium Science Math Engineering Middle School, or SME for short. Subject matter expert. The school will be located on the uh, east side Arlington Woods of Indianapolis, launching uh, next year, 2022. Um, glad to be here. Thank you, David. Absolutely, man. Welcome. East, east, side, east side in the building, man. East side nap in the building. It's going to be good yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead. My my, my fault. My bad, uh, Dave. I forgot to jump in when you called my <laughs> name. I wasn't ready. My fault. My fault. Um, Maurice Harbor. Uh, yeah, I'm originally from... Um, Brooklyn, New York, but I'm actually uh, been in Washington, D.C. for the past uh, 12, 13 years. Um, so I've been, I'm new transplant here to Indianapolis. I um, am going to be the founder uh, and executive director of, and also principal of Liberty Grove Schools. It will be a uh, kindergarten through eighth grade school opening here in August of 2022. Welcome. Hey, listen, I, that that CEO, executive director, principal, then, then three hats, man. Congratulations and, and welcome again to the city. And last but not least. Hey, hello. Uh, my name is Francisco Aliocera. I am uh, a founder and executive director of a new school we're going to be launching here. That's going to be a six through 12 in Indianapolis by the name of Monarca Academy. Uh, it's a school that's going to be designed to uh, meet the needs of ESL uh, immigrant and Latino uh, students, as well as the needs of everybody here in Indianapolis. And that's uh, going to launch in the fall of 2022. 
Absolutely. Welcome to the show. So I think I see the theme, folks, that we're going with. We got new schools coming to Indy, uh, led by men. And that's what I said. That's why it's titled Real Man Lead, because we got some real men here that, that's, that's leading. And you can see that there's a there's a change coming to the city. One that I'm excited about, uh, the, the, the network of men, male leaders is growing, male leaders of color is growing here in the city, much needed here in Indianapolis. So we're going to dive in. And so, fellas, I'm going to jump right in. We're going to go in the same order that we did the introduction. So let's talk about the motivation. Like I said, you all opening schools new to Indianapolis. So what was that motivation to pursue leadership here in Indianapolis? I know a couple of you are from here or not from here. So what was that motivation around coming to Indianapolis and opening the school and leading the school here? I'll jump it off, David. Thank you very much once again. Um, for me, I think the big picture is like it's, it stems with my mother. Uh, my mom's an immigrant from Haiti um, that lived in Haiti when there was a, a dictatorship. And during that dictatorship, there were strong systems in place that prohibit her and 80% of the people and above um, not to be able to read. Functionally, they were illiterate. And my mom is beautiful, bold, intelligent, um, smart, excellent, but she didn't get a fair shot to reach her potential. So for me, when my back's against the wall, people say, why I do this? Yeah, I gravitate to my mom's story. Brilliant, beautiful woman, but she could have solved cancer. She got a fair shot to learn how to read. And I think all too often that was a third world country and we live in a place that's first world. And I think we can actually really troubleshoot this ASAP. And for me, ultimately, why Indianapolis? And I got two kids. Uh, I think this is a a dope city in many different ways. And, you know, I love New York where I'm, you know, New York is where I'm from, but Indianapolis is my home. And it's a place where I can raise my kids and be with my family while at the same time having the conditions to do transformative work with, you know, a phenomenal group of people putting in work. And I'll say back again, why the Far East Side um, is that it's a beautiful community that I could, I could potentially add value um, to um, through leading the school. Plus there's phenomenal leaders there that welcome people with open arms. Man, absolutely. Listen, I, I'm born and raised here. I love it here. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, man, I'm, I'm east side adopted. I'm a west sider here in Indianapolis, but my whole uh, leadership career has been on the far east side, been on the east side, so I'm east side adopted. So it's always good uh, to have folks out there who's wanting to come out there because the narrative is, you know, folks don't want to be out east. So, you know, Jeff, since, since the moment, you know, we met, I've always said, uh, welcome you open arms, man. Excited for us to be neighbors, excited for us to push each other, help each other grow. And, and build the far east side up, man. So that, congratulations again. Yep, and just veggie back, you know, for what Jeff said. I'm from Brooklyn, Brownsville. And um, listen, true story, Brownsville, New York is just like Arlington Woods east side. And so I'm gonna lead with that first. And so for me, it's a natural transition. So although I'm not from Indianapolis, um, I gravitated towards that community because it's just like where I grew up from. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it was just a natural fit for me. Um, why I do this work, why I lead in this work goes back to my story and how I grew up. It's just like how kids all over Indianapolis, specifically, though, the east side, Arlington Woods, it's how they're growing up right now. You know what I mean? So I was that kid that went to school, got in trouble. In fact, got kicked out of high school in the ninth grade for doing the wrong thing. Another story. Uh, potentially, I can share some of that towards the end of it. But my story is not unique because they're the young men right now on the Arlington Woods uh, east side of Indianapolis that's experiencing that same thing. Single mother, mother got tired of being a parent, passed me up to my grandmother who had already raised 10 kids of her own, my mother being one of them. So that's happening right now. 
Um, and so, you know, I'm leading, I lead with the bold statement that every, all kids are superheroes and every superhero has an origin story. Um, it's just a matter of digging in, finding what they really want to do, not telling them what you want them to do, but what they really want to do, meeting them where they are and then building that bridge that just, you know, transforms their, it, it takes them from just using something to creating something. And that, and that's the E true Hollywood story right there. Man, man, I love it. Listen, honestly, was that area, man, I, when I when I graduated from college from Central State in 2010 and I came back home, one of the first things I did was I branched off away from my parents and I tried to look for my own church home. And I I fell into Eastern Star Church and that was 2010, been a member ever since. And so amazing to see the growth of that area uh, where, the, where the home church is and, and there's a, apartments and they're building affordable homes that they're, they're tapping into the schools and expanding more schools. There's a school in the church right now, rooted. And it's just a beautiful thing to see, man. And so definitely as being my church home and church community, it's, it's awesome to see um, they continue to grow and, and hit that education piece because it's critical, right? Those three pillars, man, you, you get the church, you get the schools right, and you get better housing, man, you can transform lives of kids and families. So it's amazing to see that happen. Yeah, right on, uh, using Coach T, right on, right on, man. Um, <laughs> I think for me though, Dave and, and, and everyone, it's just, uh, you know, one school, one community and just being able to get that opportunity to kind of change or make change or impact change or just bring change to a community that's, you know, just oftentimes just marginalized. I think that my story of being here is so vast. I mean, obviously, you know, just being on this call where I'm in a situation where I'm with you know, minority black and brown leaders um, to be uh, in the city. So, I mean, this is something that was presented to me um, when I was just looking for an opportunity to kind of grow my career. Um, and this opportunity kind of presented myself and it's just, uh, you know, literally like a, a dream come true. It's just something that, you know, I'm passionate about uh, making change, um, and helping communities and helping students grow. Um, and this is really what, what you know, Liberty Grove Schools is all about, just being able to be a part of a community and, and create opportunity and change. So, um, you know, the reality is I find myself here just as a, as a, uh, as a person kind of like what Jeff said, that this is now my home. This is where I'm, you know, I'm proud of, of Naptown at this point, even though that's probably played out, but that's kind of where I am right now. And I, I think that um, I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunities that are here in the city. Um, and I feel like, you know, just coming from DC, it is on the cusp of being that progressive city that everyone wants to kind of be a part of. So um, definitely looking forward to the work I, I put in here. Listen, I, I tell folks, man, Indianapolis is a place to be. You ask anybody, you go to the past 15 Super Bowls, you got to put when Indianapolis holds the Super Bowl in the top five, just in for a Midwest place, you know, cold weather in February, just the accessible downtown. So it's, it's growing and it's thriving. And now you're seeing the education landscape and we're going to get into that on, on the, the players behind that. There's a lot of great things happening in the city. And, and now the schools are kind of taking on And You're going to hear us in the lights with the DCs, the New York, the Denver's, you know, and New Orleans and all those other places. And so it's, it's some big things happening for sure. Yeah, you know, so I'll explain too why why Indy and why here. Uh, I'm coming from California. Well, originally I'm from Mexico. I came to the U.S. at the age of five as an undocumented immigrant. 
And um, I really um, understand the plight of my community right now. Fortunately, I was able to become a citizen of the United States. And that is something that um, needs to happen with our DACA uh, students and with, uh, and with immigration reform in general. Um, but when in 2005, when my wife was offered a job here in Indianapolis by Eli Lilly, we, we did some research and we found that there was a growing Latino community. And because I had chosen education as my profession, we knew we could um, come and be a part of this community because the Latino community, uh, the diaspora of us Latinos is everywhere. We're everywhere. Um, so anyone who wants to build walls is too late. That ship has sailed. We're on both mm. sides and everywhere. Mm. <laughs> so uh, these wall, these borders, we didn't cross them. The borders crossed us. Mm. So that's part of the reason why I do this work and why I chose Indianapolis. We chose Indianapolis because it was a growing, an area that was growing with the Latino community. And, um, and I am here to serve my community. Listen, so we got... New York in the building twice. We got DC, we got California. And so I wanna say this as someone born and raised here, as someone who's a school leader here, there's a lot of folks, a lot of chirping that goes on and saying, why are we bringing all these leaders in from other places and all this other stuff? This is what I'm gonna say to that. There is value that can be brought. If we're trying to move our city forward, there's a lot that can be learned from folks who don't have a set of eyes that's all Indianapolis. If you're born and raised here and you've worked your entire career here and you taught here and grew up here, you know, sometimes as my professor would say at Mary, you could be too much on the dance floor. And sometimes when you bring folks from the outside who's passionate about the work of education, regardless of the city, they have that 30,000 foot view. They have that balcony viewpoint. And you can learn learn a lot from folks who are coming in and, and, and trying to trying to be in our city and grow here. And so, you know, to those people chirping, you know, I just say, you know, just, just shut up. Listen, I'm all for anybody that's going to come to the city and help us grow. So I don't care where you come from, whatever city and state, if you can bring value to the city, you know, I, I welcome you with open arms and we all should too. So that's my public service announcement for for, for the haters out there. And, it, you know, this ain't, this ain't the show for me to Talk about the haters, but I just wanted to name that because there's a lot of people that don't understand the value that can be brought in when you bring in and why organizations like the Mind Trust, who you're all a part of, we're going to talk about that. That's why they they cast a wide net. And it's not that because there's not enough leaders here. There are great leaders here in the city, but there's value that can be brought in when you bring people from different perspectives. So, hey, Dave, well, I just I just want to add to that. You yeah, know, for I sure. With everything that you're saying, but I think the other thing is you got to respect the history and what else has been going on here. You can't just in my opinion, come in and say, you know, we're going to make wholesale changes. You got to know the communities. You got to know what's been happening in order to kind of create the type of change that we're looking to make. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and well, some, some places are in need of wholesale changes, which I'm glad is happening. But you're right. It's, it's respect. But it's just there's folks that don't want to welcome you all and, and automatically say, well, you know, they just here to take over. Now they're, they're here to try to try to help. Right. And, and if there wouldn't be the need to cast a wide net if the, if the education system was doing right by children. So that is, that is, that, that's a fact. So let's jump into the fellowship. And this is where we're going to get the solo screen because while you all have similar experiences with the fellowship, I want you to talk about just those experiences and how they're similar, but also for you personally, as you're developing your school and you as a leader and your experience here in Indianapolis, you know, Talk about, you know, the, the fellowship through the Mind Trust, how you were introduced to it, 
um, and talk about your experience thus far. I know many of you are, I think Jeff, you're kind of on the end because I think you're the one opening next year, right? If I, if the only one that's opening next year and, and the other two you have the year after. So talk about that and, and what that's like. And, and for folks that, you know, are interested to say, you know, I want to open up a school too. those that listen in Indianapolis and, and, and other places, you know, what's your experience been like? Uh, thank you very much. I think the first thing I just want to just like name up front is like, I think sometimes there's misinformation just around the whole context about, you know, coming to the city. And I think one thing that's been phenomenal is that, you know, the Mind Trust has, you know, created the conditions and support for someone that has a, a entrepreneur like spirit to do work around education that potentially could be transformative and create the lane or space for us to do that. So I, just, I do want to acknowledge the Mind Trust, like any organization, they're not perfect. However, they are true to their values, which actually deeply align with some of my values that's written down. Um, so for me, I think what the fellowship has has done, because I'm I've done I'm I've been a part of the court six as well as um court seven. Um first I was able to meet dynamic leaders that were from Indianapolis that told me on a day-to-day -day basis about the rich history here and things that I need to know, who I need to remember, and remember that this has been a a large task that a lot of people have carried, whether they were on pro-innovative, pro-charter, um, pro pro-township um, or pro-district, but they told me a rich history. And at the end of the day, towns of people, towns of people, no matter where they lie. So that's the one great thing I've noticed This with this cohort, the most powerful thing is that it's like, not how often do you get to see a group of male of color have the opportunity to lead organizations and the fellowship has provided that opportunity, which puts, you know, a lot on us to ensure that we execute at a high level, but we still have the opportunity. Like I mentioned with my mom's story, like one great thing, my mom gone through whatever she gone through, like to let me get in the space to fully reach out my personal potential. And I think getting in the space with four other, um, uh, three other males that are transformative and doing this work is something that you don't see across the country. So what happens is right now, is Indianapolis is on the cutting edge of providing black and brown folks the opportunity to not just be school leaders, but to be organization and system leaders, which I think can have transformative impact. And I think we need to own what our level of leadership to make sure that we execute and we deliver on the promises that we're making. Um, and I think overall, from a technical standpoint, the fellowship, what I love about it the most is that it's catered to us teaching our structures and technical things around operations, academics, um, community engagement, Etc. But it's really open for me as the learner to ask for what I need, and I think that's like the pivotal thing. I think all too often, like people assume, like the mind trust, like you need to do it this way. But the reality is, they create an open canvas for us as whole human beings and adults to approach and request what we need, so we can ensure that we're learning to the best of our capabilities. And I think that's the best thing about the fellowship. Like I know what I want, I know what I know, I know what I don't know, but I don't know what I don't know. But at least love being in the space that when I ask for something to make sure I'm getting the best information, they'll get the simplest access for the Encyclopedia of Indianapolis. I got that within 48 hours of access for it. So I think that's the best thing about this um, fellowship so far is to meet some dope people in Indianapolis and beyond that love education and are strategic, intentional, authentic, loving and passionate about kids winning. Then at the same time, working with a core, a core group of black males, brown males to actually do the work together. And I think that synergy is the most powerful thing. I think nobody can deny. Man, I love it, love it. Yeah, if I could just veggie back off of what Jeff just said, you know, my experience here in Indianapolis has been nothing short of amazing. Um, like, like, you know, I've met dynamic partners and leaders. 
the entire Eastern Stars uh, church team, uh, Pastor Jeffrey Johnson, Nancy Rogers, and everybody else, Lee Evans and everybody else that goes with that. Um, when we talk about leaders, you know, you mentioned my Lance, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm expanding on that because for me, that I've been able to connect with dynamic partners and leaders such as Taisha Henderson, my Lance, and the entire Mind Trust team, Brandon Brown, <clears throat> Patrick Jones, Sonia, and everybody else that is connected to that, which segues into the experience um, of being a felt being a fellow. So, you know, initially what, what I would say is, you know, I, I was not prepared for the work that I had to do and opening the school is, is not easy. I think that for sure, I definitely came into this uh, with, 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 the, with, the, with the mindset that, um, you know, it wasn't gonna be as hard as I thought it was, but because they are committed to having systems and processes and processes in place connected to excellence, not perfection, excellence, you know, I was able to get with that. And so some of some of some of my favorite modules, the things that I've been able to really, uh, really just kind of sink my teeth in. Everybody knows, I've mentioned those, is around equity um, gaps and opportunity. Everybody knows that the opportunity gaps and the equity gaps for brown and black children is humongous. You can't even build a bridge long enough to close it. And so what the mind trust, with, with the mind trust being able to, uh, cast that wide net, as Jeff said, it allows for educators from any part of the world, this call is proof of that, to come in and to line up to the values that they have and learn those systems, those processes, and to build something that really is gonna, is it, when, when we do this right, not if we do this right, when we do this right, because we will do it right, this will, this, will, this will be bigger than this moment in time. And so, you know, I'm I'm be, I'm just thankful for that. So that's been my experience so far in the fellowship. Love it. Yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, I think that uh, Jeff and 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 Coach kind of, you know, they they highlighted um, just all the 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 resources that we really have. I think from an experience standpoint. Um, you know, I was a, a school leader for uh, 12 years in D.C., and, and it was a situation where, you know, you felt like you had exposure to everything that you needed to 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 go someplace and just be successful and run and run a great school. Um, and I think that with the mind trust, uh, what I appreciate about it is, um, you know, yeah, you were great. You, you, you have this is why you here and this is. Um, you know, we want you to bring that same kind of energy to what you're doing in education here. But I think um, their their willingness to kind of push us and and hold us accountable to really look. We really are trying to, you know, and I keep talking about this, make sustained change um, that's impactful. Um, it's going to take a little bit more. So I appreciate that the fact that there is this level of just you know, pushing, there is this level of just understanding that um, what you what you know, you need to know a little bit more. And they're not just saying it, they're they're backing it up by providing us with those resources where, you know, I, if I need something that um, pertains to finances and, and board formation for the for for the school, these are all um, assets that they have readily available. If there is, um, you know, a situation where I have a question around some academic component that I'm trying to implement in, in the new school. 
um, they have a resource or someone that I can connect with to really talk to me about how this can be impactful. Um, so those are the things that I think are um, just, just great. Um, I think from a staffing standpoint, um, the team of people that we're working with, uh, I want to give a shout out to Sonia and Sarah and, and, and Chelsea and Lauren. I, I, I think I saw her uh, pop up there. Also, um, Patrick. Um, all these people are readily available for us um, and able to provide us what, with what we need. I think the, the other piece that um, is very important to me is the fact that, you know, I essentially just, you know, we transition here. I've been here six months and I just feel like, you know, I have people that I can uh, depend on, not only from a, 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 a professional side, but also from a, a personal side. And, and I think that that also goes a long way. And it's, it speaks well to um, the type of people that are uh, at the Mind Trust. Listen, the, the crews over there is great. I've known a lot of them uh, for a long time. They, they've definitely been supporters of me apps outside of uh, the Recess podcast, but ever since launching the show, they've been supporters. Um, I see Lauren, you know, Jones, man, that, that, that guy, that guy taught me how to be a leader, you know, and so, and, and, and Brandon and I've had, had conversations. And so it's just a great group of people. And so, um, again, they're doing a lot of good work and they've helped move this conversation forward for sure. I can't add more to what my colleagues have already said about the about the uh, Mind Trust Fellowship, except that um, just to give further illustration, um, the way Jeff talks about what his mom would have been able to accomplish had she had the opportunity, I truly believe that, and I think that we're just a continuation of that, and the Mind Trust is what uh, facilitates that for us. So if you think about. Um, the kinds of things that black and brown leaders would be able to do if they only had the time and the resources to put their their um, their ideas and their models into effect, what could we do? And this is the answer to that question, right? It's a continuation of that question of what could have what could Jeff's mom have been able to do? What could my grandmother have been able to do who taught herself how to read and uh, she never went to school, but yet you know um, she she taught herself how to read. Uh, you know. Um, that is a continuation of that. I would like to speak a little bit more to the idea that um, you're bringing people from outside. I I don't necessarily consider myself from outside. I know I came from California in 2005, but if you look at when I first started teaching here in Indianapolis in 2005, that's 15 years ago. That's a pretty long time. Um, and in the, in that time, 15 years later, um, I now have former students who are community members who have kids in the in the system and who are very excited about this school itself. So um, I don't, I think it's, this is a school, it's a community school. And also to answer a question that somebody posted, they wanna hear about the, uh, what our missions are. So the mission of Monarca Academy is uh, to eliminate barriers to success for all students. And we are inspired by the Latino and immigrant experience. And we develop leaders through, uh, high academic expectations, which we codify as ganas, which means perseverance, through cultural relevance, which we call orgullo, which is pride, and community, uh, and, and, and community, which is comunidad. So listen, y'all can already, I told you that this is some power coming uh, to the city, uh, some great things happening. Um, and so, you know, what, one of my favorite questions to ask Anybody that comes on the show. So in this process of planning to open your school, 
I want to hear from your perspective. What have you seen as some issues with the education landscape in Indianapolis and how do you hope that you, you want to solve those? So, you know, in this process that you meeting community people and being out in the city and, and, and you know, going through your modules and planning, what have you seen as some issues, right? Um, in, with education here in the city? Yeah, I, I can jump in here. I think one of the things that I've seen, and I'm going to be specific, you know, nationally, we know, this is what we know, right? <laughs> we know that there is a gap in professionals who pursue STEM. So people who go to school or learn a skill to become STEM professionals, there's a gap, right? We know that. We also know if we break, if we break, go down that, go down that line a little bit, we also know that the number of black and brown kids that pursue careers is even less than that. And so why are we not trying to change that? That's a problem. And so I think one of the things is that, you know, when you don't put opportunity and access in place for kids to be able to access. So what am I talking about? So taking the kid from someone who uses a phone to someone who understands all the technology, all the programming, all the algorithmic language, et cetera, that goes into that phone. And so they're not just using it now. Now they are power using it. Well, what does that mean? Well, they're producing and owning now. Similar, you could be listening to a podcast, but you created your own. Something or someone happened that put you in position to be able to do that. And so I think that one of the problems in education is we don't, we, we, it, it, I don't see enough um, uh, effort being put into changing the narrative around children that pursue STEM as a career and or college readiness pathway. We, we, put them, we, we put them in these boxes and give them crayons and hope that they're going to color and they become, we don't have a shortage of artists. We don't have a, a shortage of people that want to sing and dance. We have a shortage of scientists, doctors. And to change that, we have to put kids in front of that stuff early absolutely absolutely anybody else, what have you guys seen as, as one of the issues here and that you're hoping to solve right through the through the fellowship and through the opening of your school well i think that um there just a couple of things i mean i think the first one is you know just to give you some context um you know a lot of what i have experienced um or, or the perception that I've been able to create is based, you know, just rooted in the data piece. I mean, if you look at the, the amount of students that are not uh, proficient or successful on, you know, the standardized test or um, the amount of um, students that are transitioning from one school to another school or the lack of quality school, the lack of quality seats for um, students in high performing schools. Um, I mean, that's an issue in and of itself. And, and that's just without even, you know, talking to someone specifically in the neighborhood, you can just take a look at the data and kind of make that perception. But then when you speak to people and they talk about, you know, um, that I may have had uh, three different teachers in one school year um, for one grade level, especially in elementary school. I mean, I think that that's something that can be problematic that, you know, we're not um, supporting our teachers. We're not supporting the, the entire school environment to ensure that, the students are getting everything that they need all the time. Um, I think the other thing for me really kind of centers around just this aspect of, you know, charter schools versus public schools versus, you know, uh, private schools. I mean, the fact of the matter is we want to do right by all students in every school environment. And I think that these misconceptions also set 
you know, progress back. Um, and that's the case, you know, not only here, but I think, you know, throughout the country, let's just try to figure out a means to, you know, do what's best for students and do what's best for schools um, in order to, to create that, that, that necessary change. I think I, I'll build on what Maurice spoke about. I think one major thing is, and I, I don't think it's anything that separates Indy from anywhere else. I think politics and education go hand in hand and that holds back kids. I think sometimes as adults, we have our own personal thoughts or feelings around things, but ultimately we always ask questions is how the kids are doing, how the baby's doing. I think directly correlating that to Maurice's conversation around the data. Like I think data can share a lot of information, but also can leave out a lot of information. But sometimes there's some baseline things that we do gotta look at. Like what is the proficiency scores for black and brown kids? And is that okay? So for me, that's the things that I think we need to harp on. And as an organization, what we're trying to solve around that is number one, it's like first and foremost, meet Maslow's hierarchy of ensuring that the kids feel safe, feel desired, and that we are respecting their genius. With that being said, once you respect somebody's genius, they comes impressed with that. So like, we gotta make sure that kids are ready. Like, early on, like already for college and career. And that's a huge, huge load. And I think third thing is you got to have the right team. I think ultimately, like it's everything we do is for the kids, but it's about the adults. And sometimes like that's real. And I think sometimes sometimes people got to be adults with adults to ensure that people execute on the behalf of kids. And I think that can be something that come awry at times. And then last but not least, I think kids need to have a well-rounded experience um, and you need to build relationships with families and community partners. Uh, I think that's a huge leverage as well. So that accountability can be mutual. As a school, you can hold me accountable, but as a school, I can also hold you accountable so we can meet at the middle because the most important thing is that the kids succeed. It's not about the adults, but it's about us executing on whatever promise we make to the kids so that they can be independent and they can function and dominate society on their own. And for me, I think the major underlying thing is literacy. Like if we can actually make sure our kids can freely read by the time they're in second grade at a high clip, they could teach themselves everything. So I'm on a mission to make sure that kids, when they come in early, that they're able to read because sometimes systems can hold people back, but if they can teach themselves whatever, they can get the freedom that they want. Absolutely. So the, the two problems that I see um, that are interrelated is that are that um, one, that students, Latino students in Indianapolis are not achieving at the highest levels that, that they can. Um, Latino students, especially ESL students, are, not, are, are making quick progress in terms of English language acquisition, uh, but then it slows down. And the reason it slows down is because the general education is, is, is rather lacking. Um, and we can only go as fast as, as the general ed education is going. Um, we can make great strides with, with the Latino community uh, with Latino students, but if the general education, if all students are not being served well, then none of us are moving forward. Um, the second problem is Latino leadership. So that's really interrelated, right? So that one of the reasons why we uh, as Latinos are not progressing is because we do not have Latino leadership. I think you can, you can probably put all of us in a small room, all Latino leaders in the central township, and you probably have good social distancing. Um, and that's not good. Um, and that's not good. That's not representative. Um, and so those are the two problems that uh, we we hope to uh, solve here in Indianapolis uh, through Monarca Academy and just partnering with other schools to be able to demonstrate what good practice is, not just for English language learners, but for all students. 
Listen, I, I've been on this this quest lately. Uh, this this reading quest. Uh, <laughs> I, it to me, it's one of is, and I got this from a friend. It's one of the most anti-racist things you can do is teach a kid of color how to read, right? Like you, you just you just have to be able to do it. And it's, and when you're in elementary and we're all you know getting in that space, you go from learning to read, right? Kindergarten, first grade, and then they're reading to learn. And it has to flow that way. So kids have to learn how to read and then they're reading to learn. And, and reading is just so important. But I have a question and I want to shout out everybody that's in the comments. Uh, as we mentioned, the Montrose uh, crew is in there. Uh, my, my, my mentor, my brother, my aunt, super producer Ray, he's in there who just dropped it in there. Reading by kindergarten, absolutely. Uh, and a good friend of mine, Ashley Ford, had a good question. And I think Coach Tita, I think this is, anybody can answer, but I think she, she highlighted the sim piece. So she said, what are your thoughts about the oversaturation of black and brown students in special education? And how do you see them advancing in STEM programs? That's a really good question uh, that she asked there. So we'll put you on the solo screen, but you know, and, and we'll, we'll let everybody answer too, but what, what's your thoughts on that? And cause that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow. That, that is a very good point. So two things. Um, I don't have extensive research in special education. So I'm only, I'm going to answer this from my vantage point of, children. So I'm taking special education out of it. But let me, before I go there, I think that the oversaturation is um, harmful. And I, I think I think that we have to rethink what that is. It, I would have been in special education. If I'm in a class and what's being presented to me is boring, dry, I, it has no connectedness to me, I'm jumping up and down. I'm moving all up. I'm, I'm going to be labeled DDH, QDP, whatever those letters are. And so I just feel like you know, we have to we have to slow that down a little bit and make the education transformative in the way that we're teaching to the multiple intelligences. And so you have kids. Let me. So you have kids that need to get up and move around in the gymnasium classroom. Kids are not wired and locked down to a seat. If you need to get up in the class, as long as you're not. And I'm going to show you how to not become. But as long as you are not a disruption to anybody else, you're not being a distractive or a danger to someone else. You need to go stand up and do your work. Go stand up and do your work. If you need to sit down and go sit down and do your work, go sit down and do your work. Guess what? There are professional environments that are set up just like that. I think that um, I, I think that one one of the things that uh, is is very glaring is that when you look at how these schools not only are they saturated with uh, black and brown kids going into special education, but let's take that a little bit farther. And so the the schools we're in the communities that we come from. They design and let it look like prisons. That's what they look like. And so when you start isolating kids, you really potentially you're programming them to be to pursue that particular type of lifestyle. I think that one of the advantages that putting uh, like what gymnasium science, math and engineering school are going to need are going to do is STEM is in everything. Because just like just like uh, you said a moment ago, uh, David, you have to learn to read and then you are reading to learn. Right. And what, because reading is transferable, it follows you throughout your whole entire life. And so now when, when, you, when you're presented with an opportunity like you're an adult and you need to boil some water, that's STEM. Or you're an adult and you need to uh, fill out a job application, that requires you to read. Or when you're an adult and you need to measure the right amount of sugar that goes into something, all of these things are transferable. And so, you know, I, I agree with Ashley's comment of, you know, there's an oversaturation um, of uh, African-American young boys and, and brown kids. 
in uh, special ed. But I think the reason for that is because you don't know how to deal with them. I think one of the things that has to happen is we have to have learning that is engaging. That's the first thing. And that learning has to be in such a way that the, 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 the words jump out of the page and kids are able to see this thing in a way that they, they, can't, they, they can't even imagine. Here's another thing that I, I think that's really interesting. Instead of teaching responsibility, we teach restriction. What am I talking about? There's a there's a there's a there's a uh, there's an algorithm that I'll post that shows you how and we do this at gymnasium science math and in middle school where you take these phones out because this is what they had. Don't restrict the technology. Show them how to how to how to use that technology responsible. I think that I think that doing things like that will put kids in front of the learning, make them want to be engaged more. And it's just transformative. But if I got to read a book. <laughs> You know, this outdated science book that has good information. But if this is the only way that you can reach me, good luck. That can't be the only way. I'm going to end up in special ed because I'm jumping up and down. I can't sit down. And my body is wired in such a way that I have to move and I have to be restricted. But then the teacher, and here's the real one. I know some of y'all going to get me with this. The teacher, teachers have to be willing to give up control of the classroom. Everybody doesn't learn the same way. And so if Kevin needs to go stand up or sit down and use that laptop, why does it matter if he's getting the work done? Why does that matter? And so engagement, as Ashley is saying, yeah, you, you have to have a, it, it has to be just transformative, man. And, you know, and until we do that, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, a, a secular process where, you know, these kids just go and they get misdiagnosed. And here's another thing. When you look at those classrooms, kids are seeing windows, not mirrors. They see in windows, not mirrors. And what's happening to a window? I open it, I jump right out. Man, that's so true. Any of y'all want to jump on that, that piece, that special education piece before we, we move on? Jeff, you got something? Yeah, yeah. I'll jump on it really yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. Let everybody go. Go ahead. I think for me, I think I agree with everything with Coach C. Bank, but I'll add to it is that half of it really begins with the adult belief. Mm. Adults can believe a kid has special needs, which ultimately believes that they're incapable of doing things, which means they're, they're structured. They don't look at black and brown kids as special education being a scaffold to support them towards their genius, mm. at, at their inability to do something. So when I think about special education, or I think about the uh, think about STEM, I think about it begins with the core belief of the, of the adults. Do I see a STEM genius in front of me? Or do I see a kid that's gonna be enabled? I mean, incapable of doing that and i think that's something we can't shy away from because that's it but least these actions action leads to student actions student actions lead to student decisions etc and i think we always gotta look back at adults and do adults truly believe a black and brown kid that's in front of them could they be an engineer could they cure cancer and i think that's a huge 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 piece that we got to continuously speak about and also as leader we got to put people 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 feet to fire around that to ensure that they do do that because that's where we fall like I guarantee young people believe our kids can shoot threes and our kids are shooting a pretty high percentage in threes and dunking it, but we see mm -hmm. that. But I think how many people truly believe our kids can be scientists? I mean, I, I'm not talking about like the verbal, I'm saying it, believing. I'm talking about at the core, believing their genius that they can be a scientist. And I think once we start having a real conversation about that and start pressing and G-checking people on their beliefs about our black and brown kids, that's where things fall. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I just just to jump in right quick. I mean, I think the reality is and I, I've been guilty of this and that, you know, just because 
you may have a student in front of you that may have a learning disability that you have to teach that child differently. And that's not necessarily the case. You not only have to expose and, and give that child the same thing that you would give someone who is a gen ed student, you then have to take it up another level. And I think that that's what needs to take place more often is really being able to say, okay, I'm, I still believe in you. You still gonna get the same uh, assignments and, and, and structure and exposure to the lesson as any other student will, but I'm gonna take that time and give you what you need individually. And I think that that's something that, you know, we really need to focus in on and just not just try to figure out ways to get that child or move that child out of that space because we feel like they can't learn at the same rate as their peers. So, I mean, really that's just kind of where it is. And then, like I said, I've been guilty of that, but I, I've been able to learn and be able to create opportunities for students to just be able to kind of learn at their own pace, give them what they need when they need it um, and not just kind of label them and, and just push them off to the side. Absolutely. My colleagues pretty much covered it. The only thing I'll add to this is probably just really a recap and is that uh, most, most schools are really abdicating their responsibility to create an engaging curriculum for their students when they label someone as X, Y, and Z. Um, they love to take the extra funding that comes with special education and English language learners, but they don't want the responsibility of making it an engaging curriculum. And not everyone is like that. And, and I know that special education has a really good place in education because we there are ways to uh, teach all students and engage all students. Um, and we just have to make sure that, that we do that. And, um, and speaking to my colleagues here, we're all doing that and we don't really use those labels to other the students we just use them in order to be able to understand what is what are the differences and what are the different ways of learning that our students that we're going to serve um, are going to need and, um, and and ensure that we provide that that robust and engaging curriculum man it's criminal when you push all these kids in special education right particularly black and brown kids and then you don't have the proper staffing in your school to service them, right? Then you're not following their IEPs or, as you said, that their ILPs of English language learners. And, and then you don't even, you, you, you have a high population of English language learners and don't have the proper staffing for that. But then you're putting kids in these classrooms, ain't differentiating NAN lesson, ain't giving no type of uh, supports or anything like that, breaking all types of Article 7 violations, right? But you quick to say that kid's special ed. No, I think your school model is special ed, right? If you want to label it that way, because you're doing kids a disservice, right? And I just don't under I, I don't understand that. Um, but there's a lot of schools that got to do a better job of supporting and training their special education teachers, because all they're doing is just giving kids to them, right? The kids that act up, you know what? I, I, I think that kid needs special ed, right? Ain't nobody talking about nothing about MTSS. You ain't tier nobody put in any type of supports and things like that. And, and that part is criminal. But I want to post this comment because I didn't forget about it. And I'm going to say Miss Miss Evans Gray because I don't want to mispronounce her name. But this right here, this, this is a whole show in itself. When I saw this, the overcrowded of the classroom creates the behavior issues because there will be some that get left behind because of the attention that they need will not receive because overcrowded in classrooms. You got a first year teacher with 34 kids in, in their class. You ain't pushed in no type of instructional assistant, no type of special education teacher, no type of principal, no type of coach. 
it's just like, here you go. Here's these kids. They all have different uh, learning backgrounds. And, and that's the thing, right? I know why. And sometimes, listen, we can't always have a class of 18 or have a class of, you know, 22 with two teachers. But we, we got to do a better job than, than, than putting teachers in a room with 34 kids and 35 kids. You know, if we can if we can avoid that. We have to do everything we can to avoid that. So I wanted to post that comment. Um, but I want to I want to talk about something that is a deep passion of mine that I, I just totally believe in. And I'm going to throw a shameless plug out there. Recess podcast one year anniversary is coming up April 7th. So the folks at the Mind Trust, I would love to have empower families come on to the show. I'm going to just throw that out there in the atmosphere. So I want to talk about parent involvement, parent involvement, parent engagement, community involvement. And uh, you guys missed about having community schools. So what are, what are you guys doing to make sure that your school is a representation of the community, that you're engaging families, that families feel empowered, emboldened, uh, all those adjectives we can throw in. What's your stance and what are you doing about parent involvement, community engagement? I could. Oh, you go ahead. Sorry, I could. I could start. I mean, like I said earlier, I I don't feel like I'm doing anything for the community. It is the community that brought this idea to the forefront, Monarca Academy. Um, we have several community agencies that are supporting Monarca Academy, but that's not the most important thing. As I mentioned, um, I have now over 100 former students who I've communicated with over the last six months. And um, they were 15, 16 years old when I first started teaching them. And now that I, if I communicate with them and I talk to them and I just say, and I just say, hey, we're gonna do this. Um, I say, you know, this is gonna be your school. This is your school. If you wanted a school that you didn't have, what kinds of experiences did you have in your upbringing? What do you, what do you think was good? And what do you think need, could have been better? And how can we create something for your kids? And so the community is really uh, my former students. Um, they are now parents in Indianapolis and I've received letters of support from students too. I find them more valuable and more precious to get these letters of support uh, for Monarca Academy. But you know I, know, I understand that that letter from La Plaza is important. And I understand that the Indiana Latino Institute and the Mexican Consulate, all these organizations that I've been engaging, um, they're the ones that I engage. They're the ones that I'm trying to tell, hey, here's what's going on. But the community, I'm just having a conversation amongst ourselves. And so uh, maybe I'm just blowing smoke. But the thing is that I do feel like I'm part of the community. Um, and for that reason, I'm, I also chose a, a principal who has also been in the community since 2008 and been a part of the school system here in, since 2008. So um, that is how I've been engaging the community, which I don't consider engaging the community. It's just how is the community putting this idea, Monarca Academy, to the forefront? I love that 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 thought about it was the, the community, right? That they crafted this idea, and you just you you just you're just a vessel, right? And, and the school is just the vessel. Yep, that they're doing. I, I love that. Uh, anybody? Everybody? What's, yep. Go ahead, Jeff. Yep. Far side in the building. <laughs> I think I think it's, I co-signed that man. Getting powers families on this show asap. Ante, um, great opportunity. But with that being said, uh, I think for me, what I did was I had, I had over 100 one-on-one -on -one conversations with people of the community. David, you were one of them. He went to the neighborhood, seen the school, asked questions, shared who I was, what I was about, and why why I do what I do. 
And then I listened to what people wanted, you know, ask them if, what was what they want out of schools, what keeps them up at night, and listen to those listen to those stories and uh, those powerful you know messages, and like incorporate that into my thinking as I was moving forward, and also try to execute on little small wins that people would feel would be extremely valuable. And for me, I think just being able to connect with people on the one on one level, um, David, you know, like we sit on a lot of councils or community organization mm -hmm. groups, meetings in the Far East side and just listening. I think that's been a huge thing. And then also just like being unapologetic about what I believe in. I believe kids need to be able to know how to read. I think school is a place where kids have to learn so they can actually see their genius and it needs to be a holistic experience. And I'm unapologetic about that, but at the same time, flexible to listen to great tips and ideas that can help move that forward or be flexible enough to listen to things to add to my thinking. And I think lastly, I was also blessed with the opportunity to have someone that will be leading, our, who we leading our school as well, who's from the community, has been there for the past um, 15 plus years, doing the work as well, who schools me day to day. Um, Christy Jones, a magnificent leader as well, and that has been transformative as well. So, like connected with individuals, families on a community level, connecting with the organizations in the community, and then I think last year also like we have a beautiful home that we have that we're at currently right now. But once again, it's someone that does work in the community that we partnered with to do the work and pass the highways. So I think. Connecting with people, listening, and then also invi inviting people from the community to be a part of the team, whether that's playing a small informal role or playing a more formal role as well. Yeah, Jeff, man, mm -hmm. and, and you know, man, us, us sitting on these committees, it's not all about recruitment of students and recruitment of families. It's, it's about this is us saying we know we, we see the problems in the community to be at the table having the conversations for the solution. That's what it's been about with us, with, with the work with CAFE, um, the K-8. Task Force that you help and lead uh, with Ms. Paula, with uh, the Community Coalition. All that's about us making sure that we're, we stay in tune with the issues of the community, even outside of the uh, education in the schools, man. Absolutely. David, shout out to Ms. Paula as well. Like, <laughs> people, like the elders, they, they actually like, guide, like, outside of politics, there's people that just want great stuff with school. And like, so for example, Ms. Paula pretty much schools me on how I can engage with people all the time. So I just want to acknowledge that she's one person that's symbolic. But there's been about a dozen or more people that's been involved pushing, having honest conversations as well. And I just want to acknowledge that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, man, I love the I love the uh, uh the information that's going on in the chat, you know what I mean? And so one of the things that really big so two things that Tamori Evans Gray, that's actually my cousin. We grew up side by side, same neighborhood. Um, but why, one of the things that came across is, is this, how are we engaged in the community? We're leading with this, 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 this thought. What can we do with you instead of what can we do for you? Mm -hmm. And so how we, how we manage that is we know that there can't really be a disconnect when the kid comes home from school and says, hey, mom, hey, dad, today I learned about fulcrum. And the, and the response is, you, you, you mean fork? You mean fork, baby? It can't be that kind of disconnection, and so how we how we yeah you I'm, I'm telling you I've seen it I know and so mm -hmm. and so and so how we how we manage that parent engagement parents really need to understand what it takes for their child to be successful in their STEM learning journey, and so we're leading with what can we do with you, and so what can we do with you? You have to understand that in order for your son daughter to be successful in a STEM environment, it requires you to have basic we're talking basic, basic math skills. One plus one is two. It requires you to have a real strong understanding 
that the first letter of the alphabet is A, the last letter is, and we know what that is, and how to put sentence structures together. But even when we strip all of that down, let's bring it up a little bit. At a minimum to be successful, parents have to understand that their sons and daughters that they want to be engineers have to be, have to be, um, have to be in front of uh, the the the, the um, lost my chain of thought. Have to be have to be in front of. Um, I just lost my chain of thought, man. Um, but I, I I like what's going on in 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 the chat. Stop hiding behind a cell phone or a computer. We we have to we have to move that away from that narrative. Uh, you know, and 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 if we when we want our children to be successful as a parent, I have to understand my role in, in playing that. And it doesn't require me to have a degree. It doesn't require me to have extensive knowledge on something. You ever see a child that knows that their parent loves them and will hold them accountable? That's transformative. Mm -hmm. Listen, hey, I tell people all the time, you know, Rico's people getting, you know, they have got this night technology, right? I can do a podcast here and, and Zoom was free, right? And everybody hiding behind Zoom and cell phones. It's like, listen. Get you some temperature guns, measure your three to six feet, put them chairs down, provide people with masks, and get those folks in the building, man, and, and have that interaction, right? Folks going to restaurants now, folks going to the mall, folks going to the movie theaters. We can we can have some social distancing, man, and have these conversations, man, and stop, like you said, stop hiding behind those cell phones and really, really get in tune with these parents for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, just to add to it, I mean, I think everybody said uh, all the, the great things that should be done. And I mean, just to be on a practical sense, like, you know, just invite parents in, just have them come to the table, listen, just uh, be able to um, essentially look them in the face and talk to them about their child, their child, not, you know, everyone else's child, but their child, and just try to understand where they're coming from. They're advocates for their children. And that's really where it comes from. Um, and I think the same goes for the community. Just don't be that, um, person in the, the, you know, that school in the community that doesn't engage at all, unless it's, you know, something that's meaningless. I think one of the, the, the comments that I saw there was um, something around discipline and, and, you know, there's always a lot of uh, interaction with community and, and parents around discipline. And I think as schools, we need to spend more time building out, not discipline systems, but building out incentives not not incentives, but building out systems where, again, we make students feel valued. We believe in them and we want to make sure that they create, um, you know, spaces for them to have a platform. And, and, and I think that that's the other thing that, you know, some schools engage in where communities don't have a platform to kind of talk about what is going on in their community um, with the school. So just being able to provide those things, I think, will go a long way. Absolutely. And, and and Patrick Jones was tuning in. Definitely say all parents want their child to be successful. I've yet to meet a parent who didn't want their child to be successful, but I have seen a school that doesn't allow that parent to advocate for their child uh, the their way. Right? You know, and, and pa parent engagement or parent empowerment is not telling a parent how to engage with their child. It's giving the parent the space to engage to to advocate for their child, and that's what we got to do. Listen, some folks. Some parents, right, they use profanity when they talk. And that's why you got to bring them in your office as a principal, shut the door, and, 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 and let, them, let them have that conversation. That's just how they, how they communicate, right? And it, it can't be nothing wrong with that. We can't kick them out of the building. What we got to do is say, look, 
We can't do that out for other people to hear, but come in my office and let's have a real conversation. Be as passionate and as loud as you want to be if, you, if you're advocating for your child. And, and it, that's just how I've always felt, how I've always operated um, and I always wanted parents, you know, to be a part of that and even the community too, because the, the, the school is an extension of the community in my eyes. And, and when you see a thriving community, 10 times out of 10, there's a school in that community that's also thriving and it goes hand in hand and they gotta be, they gotta work together. And so I can't believe we at the hour, but we are. So we, we're gonna close out with final thoughts. And here's what I want you guys to do. Um, Ashley put it up earlier, talk about the mission statement of your schools, specifically about your school. So we're gonna give you the solo screen for, for two minutes. Uh, we're going to go in in the same order as, as we did in introduction. Talk about your school, uh, where folks can reach you, you know, all, all that information. So, Jeff, we're going to start with you, man. Promise Prep, you know, uh, I know it's opening in fall. It's enrolling K2, but but give folks, you know, a little more, you know, two minutes of, about the school. Yeah, I think just to sum it all up, um, we're, we're really about your kids' brilliance. Our goal is to create the most quali quality educational experience for your kids that hold us all accountable to ensure that they get there. And we do that through college career prep, a rigorous and engaging learning, a well-rounded experience through arts, academics, and athletics. And last but not least, we partner with the families and the community. Uh, I think at the core, we're heavy, we heavily focus on literacy. We want our babies, our students to be able to read at a high clip so that they can teach themselves anything. But at the same exact time, we think about them as being human beings to ensure that we're pushing them towards their potential. And everything that we do at the core is towards their potential. And I will say the other thing that separates us at Promise Prep is this. We have a dynamic leadership team. Christy Jones, who's our school leader, is just a formidable force that's of the community, from the community, and has gone through her own transformation as a human being, turned things around for herself, turned obstacles and opportunities. And then we have Leland Brown, also a, a dynamic force that supports us with our operations. And we stole them from the NCAA to bring that level of thinking into the school education. And then but last night, but not least, we got partners everywhere in our current location, whether it's in our physical building with Pastor Howard, if it's right down the street with Megan at Circle City Prep or you, Dave, at Summit. We're creating a little uh, oasis of, of adults doing heavy lifting so that we leave no choice but to execute for our kids. And I think that's the difference between Promise Prep. We're poised in the rich culture and soil of the Far East side to add value to a beautiful community that we strongly believe in the next decade or so through our collective being, we're gonna shift the context to already what's been beautifully made out there. Man. Jeff, again, congratulations. Welcome, man. Excited for the fall of 2021, man. Adding another puzzle to, to solve this, this Far East Side um, uh, problem. And, and man, we are really excited, man. Excited to have you out there. Excited to engage, man. Push each other to be great, man. Thanks Absolutely. for coming out. Thank you, dope community. Thank you for letting me in. Absolutely. Gymnasium Science, Math, and Engineering Middle School is really um, the final piece in a learning continuum that started with Eastern Star Church Rock Initiative. Um, and so what you have there is you potentially have students that can go from um, pre-K to college right there in the Arlington Woods Eastside community. And so it's a part of a learning continuum. So what you have is you have Sankofa being led by dynamic leader, Taisha Henderson, and that's pre-K all the way through uh, sixth grade. And then you have Stimnasium Science, Math, Engineering Middle School that is the seventh and eighth grade component. And then it's capped off by the other dynamic school leader, Ma'at Lenz, that finishes that from nine, nine to 12th grade. 
but what we really are doing is this, the Stenasium Science, Math and Engineering Middle School, or SME for short, is really about, our mission is uh, to increase the number of students from under-resourced communities that pursue STEM as a college and or career readiness pathway. Um, and so when we do that, we take students from users of technology to power users of technology. Fundamentally, here's what that really means. It means that instead of a student using a technology device and put whatever you wanna call that, iPhone, computer, TV, car, remote control, most people, most kids, and even some adults don't understand how that technology works. And so as a result, when you don't understand how something works, you're not using it, it's using you. But when you understand how it works, you change the paradigm. So you go from using something to creating something that other people end up using and have to pay you for. And that creates the uh, intellectual property or IP gains that we wanna see change. And so when you do things like that, you end up with students like Zora Ball, gymnasium prodigy that created a mobile game at, at seven years old. You end up with right here from Indianapolis, eight-year-old Samaya Turner. She publishes her book, My Life as an Eight-Year-Old Engineer. Phoenix Gray, who she's not interested in being uh, 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 anything other than an engineer, but there are a tsunami of students like that on the far east side in Indianapolis, but specifically in the Arlington Woods east side. And so when we change that narrative, as Jeff, as, uh, as Jeff was just saying, we, we, gonna, we, we, we may not have to wait for 10 years, but certainly within a decade, we can expect to see some real serious changes and some real uh, serious results. And so, you know, I'm thankful for uh, the open arms that have been extended to me, the opportunity that has been placed in my lap and the challenge that has, that has been met to change the narrative of students that pursue STEM and not just are in the room, but are leading the conversations around STEM education. Man, look, look Arlington Woods, they build it out. Pre-K through 12, coming soon, man. It's, it's going it's to be powerful. And listen, I grew up in a district like that where I went to the same district, kindergarten through 12th grade. When you keep kids in the system, close to the community, man, that's powerful. And so when you have a community that can say, listen, mom, dad, you can keep them here from the time that they're four to the time that they're 18. And, and, and it's, it's power in that. So it's so amazing that. Congratulations again, brother. Appreciate uh, you coming on uh, again with us tonight. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so Liberty Grove Schools is really centered around, you know, removing labels and redefining student success. Uh, we envision doing this in three ways by sparking innovation, um, creating opportunities and being able to allow teachers not to teach in, a, in, in what we say in a, in a box, so to speak. I think in a lot of ways, um, what we're trying to do is the simple things great. Um, and I think that when you think about Liberty Grove Schools, I want you to think about an environment that's not going to be known for just one thing, but just be, but will be known for a lot of great things. Um, we will have a, a, a K through eight that's opening in August of 2022. We haven't decided on the location quite yet, um, but we're excited about um, all the feedback that we're getting from the community around just this practical, new traditional model um, that we're looking to implement where uh, your student or your child will come in and not only be serviced academically, but socially, um, emotionally, um, as well as having fun. I mean, I think that that's something that, uh, you know, that's taking away 
from all the, the testing and things of that nature is that joy factor. And these are all aspects of um, Liberty Grove schools. Listen, getting those teachers to not teach in a box, but letting them be creative, man. And all those of us that's been teachers, man, we, we've been in places where we've had to be in a box. And so giving us that that free reign to do what we do, great, man. That, that's beautiful. I know, I know it's going to be amazing. But, I, well, man, once you get that location, man, definitely share it with me, man. But glad to have you in the city. Um, and let's continue to connect, man, and continue to build build this community for sure. Okay, so ganas, orgullo, and comunidad are the founding values of Monarca Academy. Ganas is perseverance, orgullo is pride, comunidad is community. Every morning, Latino parents send their kids to school, and they give them a very simple but very powerful message to take along with them. They say, échale ganas. This means put forth all your effort. Don't give up. And there is no Latino parent that I know of that does not send their kids with this message to school. However, a lot of these schools are not meeting that expectation. Latino parents are at the highest in terms of expecting or wanting their children to go to college. And yet the schools that we send our kids to are not meeting that expectation. At, at Monarca Academy, we're going to embed every single course with college and career readiness methodologies that will ensure that students have access to grade level material and excel and get to college um, and or a career of their choice. Orgullo, pride. At Monarca Academy, we're going to practice culturally, re culturally responsive and relevant pedagogies and practices. We know that this is what works with all students, but it works best with brown and black students. We wanna ensure that all students, but I want to ensure that Latino students, and especially those of us who may be called illegal, can answer the can answer that comment with a comment such as, "How can I be illegal when my ancestors traversed this entire continent for thousands and thousands of years, and some have just been here for a couple of hundred? We need they need to have that cultural context, and they need to have that education, so no one can ever shame them into thinking less of themselves." And finally, comunidad, community. It's a community school with all the wraparound services that community schools are known for. Um, La Plaza, Indiana Latino Institute, the Immigrant Welcome Center are all in on this and are, and are, and are gonna be supportive. And this is all rooted in a, in a quote by Cesar Chavez, which I'll end with because it meets all these three goals. You cannot uneducate someone who learns to read. You cannot shame someone who feels pride and you cannot oppress a community that is not afraid anymore. Ooh, man, cannot oppress the community. It's not afraid anymore. I love it. Listen, this this episode um, has been amazing, man. I, I am privileged and honored to have you guys on. More excited that we're going to be in this space, this education space, doing right by children. Uh, and I look forward to the days of, of non-pandemics, man. We can get out, have a steak dinner, talk talk shop, man, and, and celebrate. Uh, it's coming soon. The, the, the Recess Podcast uh, engagement outing. I'm going to get that going for sure. I want to appreciate everybody that's been tuning in, man. Y'all made this episode amazing. I'm going to get all these comments up before I, I kind of give my final thoughts, but the love has been great. This has been Real Men Lead, and I told you, I got some, some real men here. We've been talking about leadership. They're talking about their schools. They're talking about the work that they're about to do here in Indianapolis and in Indy and, and do for children, and we're going to continue to put um, our, our city on the map for sure. And so I'm, I'm just excited about that. And so I'm, I'm gonna close out 
um, real quick. It's Black History Month, you know, so I got it. I got a quote, um, a living Black history legend himself, Dr. Howard Fuller, when he said, the interest of Black children in this country will never be well served by giving them only one option to get equal education, man. Listen, this has been the Recess Podcast. I am David McGuire. Catch me next week, February 11th. I'm expanding out. I'm starting a series just to teach her from. I got some teachers from New York that's going to be on with me, man. We're going to talk uh, New York education and everything that's happening there. So make sure you tune in. And as I always say um, at every episode, create the platform, control the conversation, change the culture. This has been a Recess Podcast, and we out. Love you.